Welcome to Wizard Team, a Black magical podcast for Black magical stories. Hi everyone, it's Bayana and Portia embarking on a journey through the many fantasy stories written by and about Black people. Currently we're reading Amari and the Night Brothers by B.B. Alston and today we're discussing chapter 23. Um, Robin is currently out traveling on the international railways of Atlantis, um, so she's not here to discuss this chapter with us, uh, but she will be back next week, and you might hear, she's gonna edit this, so, you know, who knows if she'll pop in at some point. Uh, and let, like, let us check us <laughs> in about the status of the international railway visit travels, was it worth it? Would you yeah. do it again? You know? No. <laughs> <laughs> I had to spend the night in the train station. I'm assuming the International Railways of Atlantis are trains. So yeah, that's what happened. See you next week. Um, so besides that check-in, possibly we'll, we'll possibly get, let's talk a little bit about um, what we discussed on the last episode um, in chapter 22. So in chapter 22, we learned that um, the cops are being very blasé with what is going on with Quentin um, because they haven't turned up any answers. That means to them they will not be investigating for more any answers. Um, and the story that they're giving to um, Mama Peters is we've seen this all the time. Young Black men from these neighborhoods just get missing because they got things going on. You didn't know where his money was coming from. Very sus. Uh, you didn't know what he was doing for work. Very sus. So how about uh, your son's just gone and we can't do anything about it and we're not going to do anything about it. Um, Amari overhears this conversation, gets really upset by it, um, is um, was already in a place of doubting if she wanted to go back into the bureau um, after the way she was harassed. Um, and then um, this spurs her and her mom's defeat about like how her mom seems defeated by this answer about Quentin um, spurs her into being like, no, if the cops are going to investigate, I have to be the one who will come up with answers for my brother. Cause I'm the only one with a solid lead on where he might be, who cares enough to uh, keep investigating. Um, and this light under her is um, made even more a, uh, is brightened even further by a conversation she has with Jaden, her neighborhood friend, who gasses her up. Uh, he's spitting game that um, Dylan only wishes he could. Like, it was very <laughs> smooth for, like, uh, like what are they, like, 11 or 12? Like, so smooth. <laughs> Where, um, and it's really, it's, like, from the heart. Very much like, oh, like, I see you, and you're doing it, and don't, don't talk yourself out of who you are. Um, and it helps Amari realize that she's been comparing herself to Quentin who has a, an ability that she could never like he's just like super he has his whole abilities um and skill set would make him be leagues above everyone it's how he's a superstar and part of Vanquish in the first place um and so that leads her to some self-discovery and um to quit thinking about herself in comparison uh specifically to her older brother um, but while she's having this realization and having this like really great moment with Jaden, she's 
goes back into her apartment. Um, and that's the other thing I want to talk about with her conversation with Jaden. She was being a little risky there. She was just hanging her feet. Oh off my the gosh, bro! <laughs> <And> <laughs> the, my feet are still tingling from that. Like she was just swinging I'm her still stressed about of it. A, of a building. <laughs> and I'm just really grateful that Jaden had her off that ledge because that was a moment where I was like, "Nah, so you're doing things that like I get the impulse. I need you to rein that in." And so. She goes from that risky behavior to back to her apartment and uh, gets a message about um, some someone else taking risk. Another musician who's taking risk are, um, it seems like Moreau and his apprentice, who have decided they're just going to like attack multiple people's homes, um, including the Van Helsings. And there's a feed um, and some um, video footage of these attacks and Amari is taken aback. She immediately is uh, messaging Qu- Dylan, but he hits no answer. And that's how we end chapter 22. Yeah. Um, we also asked uh, if, or asked y'all, um, if you were a magician, how would you use illusions to decorate your spare lake house? Um, we didn't get a bunch of answers, but uh, we did hear from Hal who said that, um, they wouldn't have a spare lake house because they're not rich. Which you know what? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I mean, sure. We this is all conjecture. If you were to have, if a you were spare to be on Van Helsing, house, yeah, you know, no. just lying around. I get it. I definitely get it. I if you were designing a lake house on Sims or like there's a phone game that I play where you can decorate like different home decors. If you're playing a game where you're doing a home decor, but you had um, magic to like enhance whatever designs you were doing, what would you do? Mine would be a library. It would just be books everywhere. Maybe a dragon. <laughs> I can see that for you. <laughs> that's, that's probably it. Although I guess maybe the illusion of having a like of having books might be a little disappointing. So like. Maybe instead it would be there would be books, but then like the illusion would be like a dragon that's like sitting around guarding it, you know, like like hoarding books instead of money. Same. I probably do something similar. I like I no matter what, I'm going to have a library. Like if I have uh, that money, there's going to be a library. But I think I'd probably do like my library would be like a library slash study. So it'd have like desk and everything in there as well. Um, and the magical element would be like, I would definitely do like a hidden door situation, which is like, you can do that anyway, magic or not. Um, but I would have it activated by something that could be completely like, I don't know, you would have to really just know how to get in there, um, to activate the hidden door. And then once you're in the room, it would look more like, um, like a gothic interior like it's like trees with spanish moss hanging and like you can mm. have like, a hybrid of indoor outdoor in the same time like i would like that mix because like i like the feeling of like gothic outdoors but i don't like mosquitoes so i don't actually want to yep. be outside i know that's right <laughs> i just want all the great components of the outside without the actual like issues that are involved with being outside mm-hmm. that's what i would do <laughs> for an interior that's super real yeah i um yeah, yeah, that's super real. I feel like, yeah, the dragon, I'm trying to think, like, just very cozy vibes is really 
really what I would what I would want. So even like I could see like, like you having like a dragon, like the guard, like it's like the dragon. It's like I know um in the animated Disney movie of Aladdin where there's a tiger's head to mm-hmm. get into like mm-hmm. so that would be it would be like a dragon head, right? And then right. you'd be like you go in there and, the and you're like, oh, it's actually you- pretty pretty chill in here. <laughs> <laughs> Like hard exterior makes it seem like makes you think twice before coming in, mm-hmm. but then once you're there, it's chill. Did Bayana give you permission to be here? <laughs> <laughs> and then if so, sure, have fun. Then right, chill out. Good, literally. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. Just a reminder for folks: like when we have the questions, you can respond on Twitter, Instagram. We are um. We'll have like posts and in stories. And then on Twitter, you can use hashtag wizard team or reply to our tweet about it. Um, but also if you're listening on Spotify, they have a spot where you can like reply. Um, so you can also do it that way if you're on Spotify and then we'll see the answers. So yeah. Um, let's get into this chapter. I feel like I was real. I forgot. Like I, I was waiting on a, this chapter, but I couldn't remember what chapter it was. You know, I was like, there's a point where like, I really like this chapter a lot. It's super fun. Yeah, whenever I first read this chapter, like, okay, one thing about me, like I, the tropes that I like may not always be romantic tropes because I'm worried about romance anyway, so in character. Mm-hmm. But uh, I always love a found family trope and I always love a like mentor mm-hmm. trope. And whenever this mentor figure shows up, well, I mean, I guess anyone could be a mentor. But I really hope that this character that shows up in this chapter ends up being um, more of a mentor figure for Amari because it's just so cool um, what they're able to do. Yeah, agreed. Um, so Amari doesn't hear from Dylan until the next day. Um, he calls her from inside the Department of Supernatural Health with an ugly bruise on his forehead. Um, and then he kind of just explains how... Um, he and his dad were the only two who were at the house, so they were the only two who had to deal with the hybrids. Um, Lara and their mom were touring this year's Heartland Crop Circle Art Festival, which honestly, I was like, it sounds cool. I love the little like mini like tidbits of just like world building um, that are like kind of inconsequential to the plot, but we just kind of get pieces of those. I always like reading that. Um, it makes you think about like the whole like theory that like cross circles are like made by aliens, mm-hmm. and I'm like, is that the element where you see like el- like alien art? Like, is that how? Right. I was like, I wonder. Like, like, is it like it's are are y'all like surveying the crop circles from above or something? Like, are they maybe like in like a floating festival and they just kind of look and they're like, hmm, I see the like you know, are they like critiquing the art or are they just like observing? Like, what does that? Actually what are those mean? things like the sky sprint like shoes or whatever? Are they just like right. sky sprinting around, right? With a, they're like, hovering, a discussing. Yeah, they're just like interesting. This one evokes such like dark emotions or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can tell by the slant of the crop. <laughs> like, right. You're like, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, Dylan said he tried to fight them off as he ran to find his dad, but one clawed him pretty good. Um, they barely made it out of there. But um, Dylan says, I keep thinking, what if everyone was home for the weekend like usual? Will we all have made it out? Um, Moreau's people went after my family, Amari, again. 
Um, and also says that like the attacks were all on old legacy families. Um, so the Van Helsings weren't the only, like I remember at the last, at the end of the last chapter, it wasn't clear. We weren't sure if it was like just the Van Helsings or we know they have multiple houses. So <laughs> it was just like their houses, but it was the Van Helsings, but it was also other legacy families. Um, Billy Pogo's parents both died, which is really like, this was like, so he didn't, he survived because he has unnatural luck. But this also, on like, this like kind of two thoughts I had when I was reading this is like, one, this is like, things are getting real, right? And I think even Amari kind of says it in a, a little bit further is like, okay, like, you know, there are actual casualties. People are actually losing their lives or losing their family members. Um, on the other side, I was thinking about like unnatural luck and the fact that that only protects Billy himself and not like his family because or like he truly lucky his whole family would have came out of there right that's what i would think right yeah. like, that's what i would think for sure but yeah but um he's lost both his parents so he's not coming back to the bureau um for the rest of the summer um and then dylan has well, he's like, he, again, at this point, doesn't know that Amari has decided to come back to the Bureau. So he's like, please tell me you're coming back. Um, he's like, are we going to be Vanquish 2.0? We made a pretty good team the other day. So now they've kind of, like, solidified themselves as partners and as friends, I guess. Um, I feel like we ended whatever the last chapter Dylan was in on, like, can't trust it. <laughs> But I mean, I still don't trust I it. I never will trust I, it. I, yeah, I think that. And knowing what we know, I have notes, but I'm leaving it alone. It's hard. It's so hard. Evident. Like, at least, like, I feel like we um got it out in our like Patreon bonus from last week. At least I got out my main things. I was like, mm -hmm. but as we get closer to the end, it's going to be hard to like not spoil certain things with our commentary, which is interesting. I haven't had to do this before. <laughs> I just like um, I just have notes, and I'm just like I'm yeah. sure when we get to like the, the those those episodes, I'll be like, like let me go back to chapter literally for literally. this note that I had for real. Um, so we get to Sunday. Um, Amari's mom is doing a lot better than the night before. They don't really bring up or talk about what happened with the cops. Um. And mostly just talk about how Amari's doing at her, in quotes, leadership camp. Um, but she, so Amari kind of, like, tells her some things and not others. So she tells her how she's, like, first ranked in um, in their group, in her group, but, like, doesn't talk about the fact that she's being bullied and ostracized, which it's, like... Girls ain't even just bullying. Like, you had a whole hate crime. Literally. And, like, I, I get it because... Again, like, it's it's one of those things that's really, fr it's, like, frustrating and, like, really sucks that she feels like she has to do is, like, protect her mom in some ways. And it's not even protecting in, like, the physical sense. It's more in the, like, not wanting her to worry. It's, like, in the emotional sense. But then also in some ways it's protecting herself because if her mom gets worried, then she's gonna pull her out. And there's, you know, there's, like, mm -hmm. different levels to it, but just her feeling like she has to filter what she what information she's giving her mother um 
in a way that a lot of adults have to do for their kids is like it just sucks that those are considerations she has to make in the situation um i think a lot of kids i think well i think there's a decent amount of kids who are thrown into similar situations mm -hmm. um i think mostly like usually in a similar uh, situation of like um they know that their parent doesn't have the like bandwidth or like capacity mm -hmm. um to protect them in the way that they need to be protected so they just kind of like or like they don't want to they don't want to engage their uh, their parents protective um mm -hmm. radar so they're just kind of like i'll keep this on a low and i'll figure out how to deal with it myself um right. because i'd rather not i think especially with her mom um, it talks about how, because her mom, like, the night before, right, she kind of, like, cries herself to sleep. Like, mm -hmm. Omari hears her mom, like, crying herself to sleep. And um, then it says here that, like, her mom worked a shift earlier this morning before dropping Amari off. So she went from crying herself to sleep, going straight into work, coming back home, and then dropping Amari off. So Amari just, like, fills her mom's energy levels. She's, like, mad low. She's defeated about Quentin. And she's, like, trying to protect her mom. And by not telling her mom about what's going on with her, um, which is so sad because it's like, um, you like when you care about someone else, right? When you love them that, that deeply, you want to like make sure you know you're helping, you're doing whatever you can whenever they're having a low moment to mm -hmm. kind of keep them from going any lower. So it comes from a very protective place, but it's like also uh, limiting um, Amari's ability to have any. Uh, protection and the moment where she needs protection as well right exactly um and then it also was just like Amari not being able to like confide in her mom either about like her nerves right like she's worried about how she's going to be received when she comes back there's only 11 days left to the next tryout so she's worrying about like is she going to get enough information about Quentin before then is she going to like be good enough to pass that tryout like there's just a lot of things happening and like her mom notices her like kind of nervous energy but when Amari brushes it brushes her off she doesn't really have the energy to like push further than that um so it's just like yeah it's just it's a sad situation honestly <laughs> just like wish they could both get hugs and be taken care of pretty much like i feel like there should i'm annoyed by uh, to be honest i'm annoyed by um agent magnus that or fiona for not like at least having some level of like bureau therapist or counselor available for amari and her mother mm -hmm. like even if they had to disguise that like prior to amari being part of the bureau like something to like give them the opportunity to like like one set up a, a way to figure out the family like consistently if they ever have any contact about from Quentin so they kind of like have a note to like probe into that but also like they're going through it like they're a missing family member they need someone to talk to like yeah. you have burial resources use them and like no closure like Amari at this point has information and so I think that helps but like beforehand she didn't have any information and no idea what happened other than that Quentin is gone and so and it's so at this point it's the same with her mom like nothing has changed for her mom um, at least give them like a coping mechanism or something yeah some sort of support yeah 
so Amari walks into the hotel. Um, she keeps her head down as she moves to the lobby into the elevator um, and stands all the way in the back behind the couple of mummies headed for the Department of the Dead. And I want to say, I had a note here, and I, this is a maybe it could possibly be a question later. Um, is as soon as I heard about the Department of the Dead, which I feel like it's the first time we actually get note of the Department of the Dead, um, I immediately thought of Wednesday Adams and being like, oh, that's mm. definitely the department that Wednesday Adams would be. Would be <laughs> definitely. I'm so curious what these mummies look like in the in the no in the known world, like what their like glamour is. <laughs> I'm just very curious what they're looking like walking onto this elevator. Um so after they leave, Amari asks the elevator for a few minutes to think. Um, so she's just trying to like, you know, get herself back in the game pretty much. She thinks back on what she's learned so far about Moreau's apprentice trying to trade Quentin and Maria for Moreau's release and then possibly the black book. Um, the Bureau refused. Moreau's apprentice has been attacking the Bureau with the hybrids, including the attack from the other night. Uh, Moreau says the reason Quentin was kidnapped was because he found something Moreau's apprentice wanted. Um, and Lara said that Maria was helping him, even though they weren't partners anymore. So the only clue right now is the calendar entries from Quentin's computer about contacting a KH and then meeting director Horace. So Amari tries to make an appointment. Well, first she just tries to go to the department, to the department of good fortunes and bad omens, but you can only access that department by appointment. So um, Amari schedules one, and the soonest she can speak to Director Horace is like the also, middle of next week. I just want to note this too, because this is very much like in my planner mind how mm-hmm. like I, useful this was. I noted how like the elevator one notified Amari that it was only available by appointment, but also booked the appointment as an elevator. Right. And I'm like, that is helpful. Like, who needs Google Calendar when you have these elevators to just be like, oh yeah, book me an appointment with the director. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely noted that too. I'm like, that's super helpful because if you're just being told that like, oh, we can't do it, like you can't get in or whatever, it's like, please give me solutions and then let's like solve the problem. And like next week is long. It's a lot of time to wait, but you know, at least I know and I handle all at my business. At least you know we're on the calendar. Right now. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Robin will have a different opinion on that, but personally <laughs> from the Enneagram one INTJs on the squad, we love this. We love to see it. <laughs> I also want to like, I, and like to be fair, like I'm not an AI person. Like I no. have a fire TV and I'm really annoyed by the fact that I know that at any point it could be just like monitoring me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do get really annoyed whenever my, um, my galaxy um i'll be talking about something and then mysteriously ads that i see on social media will be like about whatever i like yeah. spoke about I'm yeah like, i hate that instagram like, I, re- I understand that. i understand it but just account like you book the appointment in the elevator right after i talk about needing an appointment it's great it's great information um so Amari um, takes the elevator the rest of the way to the dormitories. Um, and then here she's accosted by Lara and Kirsten, um, who's like, why are you here? Um, Amari's like, I'm, I'm here to be a junior agent and I'm going to find my brother and hopefully your sister. Lara says, my sister doesn't need any help from a Peters. Got that? You just focus on your own dumb brother. Um, 
and then first off like what is Lara doing there she doesn't even live there doesn't live there and also it's not investigating her own sister's disappearance so like mind you like if you are not gonna help you really don't like what are are you doing (laughs) first what are you doing here two what are you doing for your sister give me something literally nothing um and then here comes kirsten who for some reason decided to put her nose in somebody else's business instead of minding hers um is like guess you thought those hybrid attacks were fair payback for the pictures somebody left on your wall also she says somebody like what are you is this a confession like um Amari's like, are you serious? I had nothing to do with that. So you say, says Lara. Um, Kirsten is like, watch your back, freak. Um, and Amari's like, what's that supposed to mean? Exactly what it sounds like, answers Lara. So now they're like threatening her. And I just need, I just need them to go. Like, why are you here? I feel like y'all got a lot of mouth for- um, Like, what are they actually going to do? Point. Like, come on. Like, you're, you got a lot of mouth for institutional backup that you got. Like, right. but let's see if you really didn't have your parents ready to, like, stick up, like, to throw me out of here. How big and bold would you really be? Right. Um, Bertha notices and, like, calls for them to break it up, but she's all the way down the hall. Um, Amari is like, I'm not scared of you. She says, well, she says first, I can't let that be the end of it. I won't let anyone intimidate me anymore. Um which I love. It's like, she, you know, she was shaken after the, mm-hmm. her last encounter. And so like seeing her make this like conscious decision to like stand her ground in the situation. Um, That's like she's like in a place of like, if I'm going to be here, I can't let this stuff keep getting me. Like, yeah. I, like, they, I like I have to like, to me if mm-hmm. I don't, if I don't nip this in a bud. Exactly. Um, so she says, I'm not scared of you. And Lara says, you should be. And again, why? What are you going to do? Besides calling your father. What do you what really you have for do? me? Oh my gosh. Just. Ugh. She's the worst. Um, so Elsie arrives at the dorm just uh, before lights out and because uh, she was with her guardian helping um, those who were hurt by the hybrid attacks so because of that she's exhausted they don't really have time to talk because um, Elsie goes right to sleep um, so when lights out comes uh... wait I'm sorry oh yeah go sorry ahead. sorry because I got insulted and I wanted to make sure that this insult was acknowledged for how big of an insult it was <gasps> um, whenever before Elsie hops in, whenever she has this ex- exchange with um, Laura, mm-hmm. and then uh, um, Amari says, I'm not scared of you, it says that Laura spits, you should be. This whole, she spit. I assumed that she, like, because I've, I've seen that as like a. I get it. Yeah. I, like, I don't think like she's like literally spitting. Because it's not like two it separate actions. Like, the way that it's written, it's written as, like, she spits the words out as opposed to, like, literally spits. But either way. I just way. want to note that Laura is highly disrespectful and she really yes. does deserve any licks that she gets. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Amari doesn't go to sleep right away. She um, reads, she's reading Noteworthy Agents, Heroics, Scandals, and Everything in Between. Um, 
she's using Elsie's sneak handle to read while, because she doesn't, you know, want to disturb her friend who needs rest. Um, she reads Vanquish's long entry, um, skims through Agent Magnus's paragraph to find his talent for being tough-skinned, or how his talent for being tough-skinned enhanced to steel-skinned um, after touching the crystal ball, which is, like, a cool little tidbit. Um, and... Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> it actually, it really is. I never thought about, like, the... the um, what do they call them? Evolutions? Did I say that? <laughs> I've not watched Pokemon or interactive Pokemon since I was like, yeah. But also, like, if it's like mm. uh, some Pokemon, like they go from mm-hmm. like being rock Pokemon to steel Pokemon. If you give them a certain stone, so you go from being like already tough to like rock to like boom steel. Yeah. Peep. Okay. Tight. <laughs> um, and then something about how Agent Fiona nearly caused an international incident. Um, when as a junior agent, she greatly offended the origami hive mind by insisting that scissors beats paper, um, in rock, paper, scissors, which is wild. Cause like scissors does be, scissors does be paper, do mm, words, scissors. How was that brand paper. new information? You know, the origami hive mind, you know, I think they just do what they want and it's probably just offended at the thought that anything could defeat paper. That's my assumption, but. Yeah, I don't I just know. Feel like, I just feel like, obviously, but and then also, this hive is the origami hive mind. Is that like what is it called? Like uh, the spider verse? Like what is that called? The spider web or whatever, basically, like mm-hmm. that the um, different that the all the different spider people belong to. Oh, uh-huh. that Adam. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's like, is that, is that what the origami hive, is, hive mind is? It's like there's like all these people around the globe, different realms and dimensions, and they all belong to this one origami hive. Yeah, I don't know. It's so much, that's the thing, like he keeps dropping these little tidbits and it's like, I have a lot of questions and no answers. <laughs> I'm like, is there, like, I'm hoping that like Amari's book where she's reading this, like, you know, when she's, uh. There's like an index with like mm-hmm. notes for like further information about these little like there's an asterisk beside it with like a definition because I'm like what is that what does that what mean is that? like yeah. I, there's no way I could have read that as a, like a trainee even <laughs> like okay I didn't answer right like I need to know what else what like who the what things <laughs> are concerned about paper cuts too right. off of everything else right so there's a lot a light knock on the door um that amari answers and there's a pretty girl in a white flower tiara um who's standing there and she says hello amari i'm here to escort you to the department of good fortunes she grins wide and bad omens her face falls now this love the drama here I'm, yes <laughs> I swear. um i miss like I live for like it's more the description goes on i live for it i just yeah. continue to live yeah um so it turns out that she's been granted a special top priority appointment by the chief um, herself. Um, something about ensuring that Amari being here won't bring doom and despair to the Bureau. Um, so and then Amari asks, if I wanted to ask Director Horace something important, could I? Um, and the girl says, of course, but maybe wait until the end so you don't interrupt the show. Um, now get dressed and bring your raincoat. Um, so yeah, so turns out we don't have to wait until next week. We can go now. Um, 
in the middle after lights off for the whole dorm. Right. So, she's supposed to be asleep, but she was, I guess, you know, right. told her she was she like, you know, what? that she was studying at that time. Exactly. She had a sneak candle to keep her awake while she was studying because, like, what if she was knocked out? Man, she would have missed it. That would have been out of pocket. Love B&T content? Want to see the tricks behind the treats? Every month we drop behind the scenes and bonus content on our Patreon. Baddies at any tier get access to notes, process videos, and podcast outtakes. Support us on Patreon at any tier by going to patreon.com slash blacknerdscreate. So, Amari... um goes to the closet where she finds her favorite pair of jeans a jet a jet black i heart books t-shirt quentin got her last year um with black sneakers and a bright yellow raincoat that already has her moonstone badge pinned to the front so like this closet is really (laughs) the closet is really you know doing what needs to be done they said oh i overheard you might need a raincoat because it's gonna rain um so I feel like the closet, like as soon as like the like the um the whole the same system that the appointment was made on with the elevator, like the closet got the memo that the the appointment was changed to be that night and what the conditions were, and the mm-hmm. closet was like, "Bet okay, I got it ready." Right, and I love that for I love that magic is great. Um, so Amari dresses, turns off the sneak candle, and then uh follows the junior fortune teller escort she wears a fancy white dress that glows in various places um she says that she made it herself and that the secret is to weave christmas lights into the fabric um her name is january um and she she curts she twirls and curtsies and introduces herself as january and then amari tries to curtsy back um which i think is adorable <laughs> she's mm-hmm. like i'm in my raincoat and my jeans but i'm gonna to make it like, work. I can't I can't possibly match the same energy, but I can try. Yeah. I need the effort to matching this energy. Right. Um, so they go through the halls of the youth dorms and more kids are slipping out of their rooms. Um, one girl emerges with a purple velvet cape and crown. A boy skips into the hallway in a thick fur coat fur coat, a large pair of antlers perched atop his head. Um yes. and that's kind of giving like where the wild things are to me. Yeah. A little bit. Um, so they're all from the Department of Good Fortunes and Bad Omens, and their dress code is to wear whatever makes them happiest, uh, which I love. I'm like mm-hmm. the, the closest I've gotten, like one of my old jobs, um, our dress code was pretty much like whatever made us feel comfortable, which was like great. Cause <laughs> and now I work from home most of the time, so I don't really have to think about dress codes, but. I like the idea of just like wear whatever you want. If that's like a Christmas light dress or uh, antlers on your head, like, you know, do what you want to do. And especially cause they're kids, you know, like, but also like they have to be out here at night and right. they have to be like, um, like, not only is it about good things, but it's also about bad omens and who good fortunes and bad omens. So you're probably hearing about crappy things all these time. Mm-hmm. So if the directive is what's going to make you happiest, there must be a very big intent behind like making sure you're keeping people upbeat 
um, at some level um, while they're going through all this crap. Um, As a communications researcher, um, one thing that um, I've been tasked with before is looking through um, information about like white supremacy and discourse. And as someone who does not want to be tasked with looking at hate speech, I can't figure that out. Cause I was like, I am not going to be doing that. Um, and one of my former colleagues was telling me that like one of her first things that she had to do, and she's a black woman as well, was look through a lot of like hate messages, like hate mm-hmm. tweets, hate uh, discussions. And it's like, that takes a lot out of you whenever you know that you're like, you may not be this, like there's never really, there is sometimes a specific target, but for the most part, that kind of hate is like includes you mm-hmm. and people that you love and you're constantly reading that. So I can only imagine being like a kid and coming across like these bad omens and stuff and like like the weight of the world and how like big and impactful these things can be. And whatever little things can help you from like like getting like can have some level of like making lighting up your day after going through whatever that bad stuff is like you definitely need it so i i'm already down with whoever the director is um director horse is the one for who made that directive about the dress codes or whoever um i'm very glad that's a part of their directive because who knows but i also love it because it means that this department seems to be giving like fashion seems yeah, to be giving like literally whimsy, like, <laughs> like honestly right now like the Department of Good Fortunes and Bad Omens is, like, up here, and the Department of Supernatural Investigations is, like, all the way down here. Like, they're in these, like, boring gray suits and, like, got your little sneakers, whatever. Like, they get to <laughs> dress however they want, and, you know, they they get to be free-spirited. I love that. Um, a lot of them make their own clothes, but if you go to the Du Bois clothing website on the other net, you can almost always find some find exactly what your mind has dreamed up which is also amazing like I just I love this chapter because it just gives the like like it moves the plot forward but it also just gives the like whimsy and like it's just very like pleasant I guess <laughs> to me like this and, is... that, and it explains a little bit about why Du Bois is so expensive probably because right. it's like, can you imagine like having fits for like oh so many individual people's dreams like what they might want their dream wear mm-hmm. I don't know why some people's dream wear was what homeboy was wearing in chapter one right, but... <laughs> right. His, his fuzzy whatever suit or what Amari had to wear looking exactly. like a clown in her own neighborhood I don't know why those were dreams but, but somebody dreamed somebody that. dreamt them. Somebody. Um, so Amari realizes she's never seen anyone dress like this during the day. So she um so we kind of find out that most of them work during the night, um, which is not unusual. They're the Department of Dreams and Nightmares, Department of the Dead, and the Department of the Unexplained um all have night shifts instead so there's like a whole bunch of kids that she doesn't even see during the day because they're probably asleep um and then the department of supernatural health is and then the department of supernatural health is also is open 24 hours um because emergency services yeah so like that yeah just more more world building about the bureau (laughs) I just really hope that the Department of Dream and Nightmares have an obligation to play Beyonce Sweet Dreams at least like once a week. Which is, <laughs> I don't, not, not enough that it's annoying, but enough that you're like, this is where you are. Yeah, you are here. Yeah, maybe like the elevator music as you as you get into it, you're like, oh, okay, I know where I'm at. 
Um, so there's a girl in a girl dressed as Santa Claus who rushes over to January, um, clutches both of her hands and says, let me guess strawberries. Um, January giggles and says, you're always getting your futures and histories mixed up. Strawberries Jubilee was my name yesterday. Tonight I'm January Winterfrost. So that's another thing. This girl can just change her name every day. And nobody blinks an eye. I love this place. Like, I don't know that I would want to work here necessarily. I don't think that it's like actually like a good fit for like my sensibilities, but it is a delight to read about. <laughs> and like they just seem very like chill. Um and then also there's like a bunch of camaraderie between them. They're not mm-hmm. like you know, there's not one being like, ugh, there's the one who's always dramatic, always changing her name. Like, oh gross. Like she just wants to be different. Right. Like they're just like they're all very like supportive of each other's quote unquote oddities. Like right. they're just like in, like very and I love that. And even like Amari, like she none of them are giving her any weird looks or like singling her out in any way. They're like way more interested in all the costumes. Somebody's dressed as a blue balloon um so like it's it's just that they're in this all they're in this whole other kind of they just have this whole other attitude and like culture within their department that um is honestly like a breath of fresh air at this point <laughs> i also probably feel like it comes from like the, the scope of their department like mm-hmm. they're like miles above like like they're their brain has to be galaxy brain because they're thinking about these big futures right and like you can't really have i mean i'm sure somebody could try but like i think the idea is that if you're looking at these things there are like objective bad omens and objective good fortunes but then there's also stuff in between or like things that you can't know until you actually look so i think they're also not really tripping off amari until somebody tells them they need to worry about it you know what i mean um but also, I don't know if they're the ones who need to worry about it. It seems to me like they just see the fortunes and then they're like, this is what it says. <laughs> and then they can like, I'm going to just like, and, and I'm going to like translate this. I'm going to interpret what I can. And he's going to, this is the answer. This is what I got for you. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so they get into the elevator, um, Lucy, the elevator. Um, and January explains that Amari's off to meet with the starlight shaman himself. Um, Lucy says, director Horace Shore has a dreamy voice. Um, so I'm like, not this kid and the elevator crushing on this grown man. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> like January blushes. I'm like, y'all, y- y'all calm down. <laughs> this man must be, like his voice must be giving like, um, what is it? Uh, what is the radio station late night called? Like the, uh, like, uh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the name. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I forgot. Cause I don't, I haven't listened to a radio station in so long. Yeah, me either. Uh, but the late night voice, like mm-hmm. the deep voice, like mm-hmm. welcome to blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Like, you're like, oh crap. You're like, like his voice is giving that because everybody's just blushing, and the, an elevator is like, oh, the elevator is like, oh my god, swoon. <laughs> like, can you imagine how she's like flirting with this man whenever he gets in, in the elevator? She's like, oh, how you doing? Right. And what is the director supposed the to do you with can that? Hear his voice. What is the director supposed to do with a flirty elevator? Like, <laughs> let's let's be real. <laughs> um. So. Uh, the elevator doesn't descend deeper into the depths of 
the bureau. It actually goes up. They go through the Vanderbilt Vil, mm, Vanderbilt Hotel, um, and basically go to the very top. So there, the door is open to a huge circular room um, that Amari realizes must be the inside of the large golden dome up top of the hotel. So that's like also interesting that. Obviously, like, the depths of the Vanderbilt Hotel and the Bureau are at this point unknown, but it also, and I think we saw earlier um, when Amari went to meet Magician Girl, like, one of the elevators went into, like, the closet of one of the hotel rooms. So, like, clearly the Bureau has, like, strategic, you know, um, spots within the hotel itself, but then also the fact that, like, the top floor is a part of the bureau and not um the hotel is also like pretty cool um, i wonder about that because you know like a lot of like and this is uh business brain me i guess mm-hmm. um a lot of hotels host like events like rooftop events and like especially like weddings or like big stuff mm-hmm. like that i wonder if there's been ever been someone who's like has not been someone who would uh from the bureau who has been interested in me? Like, oh, could I rent out the dome for an event? And they've been like, no. No. Like, dude, how do they keep people from being interested in like? Maybe space, it's like know? maybe it could be like it's a private thing, or they could. I feel like there are ways you could excuse it, but I'd be curious what their excuse is. I just feel like there'd be like a rich a hole that would be like, no, I demand to know why I can't use. You right. know what I mean? The place, and they probably like, like maybe, but it could be like maybe it's disguised as like a penthouse or something, and it's like no, somebody lives here. I don't know. I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like I could I could see something, but I still think it would be <laughs> really funny to have to deal with that as like a thing. But I'm sure also they probably have like like if that became too the much collectors. of a problem. Yeah, or like, you know, in Men in Black they have a like well things that make you forget. So like be <laughs> like you don't or like a Jedi mind trick, like you don't want to have your wedding here. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if like it's like if you like, if you are not part of Vero, and if you you start getting curious about the dome, you suddenly start having like, uh, like tummy troubles. You're like, oh crap! Right. Go. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, I don't actually care about that thing anymore because now I have problems. Exactly. Um. Uh, sorry. One second. Um. So yeah. Um. Then. So yeah, so the dome is split into halves. So the walls on the right show cute fairy animals um, in green meadows filled with flowers of every color. There's happy cherubs taking aim at at grinning couples. Children laugh and dance. And then on the left side, there's ugly monsters twisting themselves around dark spaces filled with angry green eyes. Some bear sharp fangs. Other have sneaky grins. Everyone on that side looks sad, terrified, or furious. Um... And so Amari's just kind of like looking through. She's hoping that her visit falls on the good fortune side of things. Um, there's a big white pillar in the middle of the room and a black staircase that wraps around it um, that leads to the viewing end of a telescope stretching to the ceiling. Uh, most of the room is filled with curved tables arranged in concentric circles around the pillar, um, kind of like the solar system. And there's a walkway that leads straight from the elevator to the pillar. So they go to the pillar. They're passing stations um, spread out on the tables. And basically, it's just like a really cool. It's just it just looks cool. I don't know. Like I just really like this place. Um, and I just feel like I'm like I don't know that I would fit here. 
No, However, but I, really I could maybe I do. Like I would just want to <laughs> hang out. Like, I would make a reason to be here. I don't know yeah. what the reason would be, but yeah. I would want a reason to be here. It just sounds so much. It just sounds so fun. There's uh some tables with crystal balls, some with tarot cards. Others have bowls with small bones inside. Um, on the bad omen side, there's a book called Cursed or Blessed with Bad Luck, a subtle but important difference. Um, there's also a fire that's burning uh, for pyromancy. Um, so apparently if you like concentrate really hard, sometimes you can see uh, visions and glimpses of the future in the flames. They are tr- uh, January explains that they're trained in 12 different methods of fortune telling. I love it. If you want to actually like, have an area of study, you need to specialize, and yeah. like, there's multiple methods to specialize within. Mm-hmm. It's like you study them but all, and then you love... go to the one that you feel like makes the most sense, you know? And then as, like, a fantasy person, I'm going to always see another fantasy property within another fantasy pro- uh, property. So this pyromancy gives me Lord of the Light from Game of Thrones, where you just, like, stare at the fire and start having visions. Like, mm-hmm. I I know it's, like, a thing. Pyromancy is a thing. But for the, however, the way that it was explained to me, I immediately got, like, um, the Red Lady and um, what was mm. the name uh, the Stannis. Lord Boros or whatever the I don't know they got a lot all of I know is it just reminded I'm like do they just be staring at the at the fire and right. then speaking with the fire sometimes and then mm-hmm. they come out with their visions and I'm like I would I wonder like do they have protective goggles for people right. you can't be like, <laughs> how long do you look at stare at light how long are we doing this well, you like uh yikes um. So they go around the pillar and then um, Amari spots a doorway with a plaque that reads Office of the Director. Um, They pause in the doorway. The office is pretty empty. There's no desk or chairs or anything on the walls. Only a big dark-skinned guy in deep blue robes and a matching blue kufi um, embroidered with silvery stars. He has his back to them on a wide blue carpet with silver trim. And he says, hello there, in a deep, rumbling voice. And the sound makes Amari smile. So clearly, something's going on. He sounds like uh, Barry White or something. Like, he's... Is it Midnight Storm? Is that what it is? <laughs> the Quiet Storm? <laughs> quiet Storm. Yeah. That's what he's giving. He's, he's giving definitely the giving the Quiet storm. storm. It's like Amari says that his voice is like far off thunder. So, you know. I think we nailed it. <laughs> um, so director Horace stands and turns with a swish of his robes. He has golden eyes um, and a neatly trimmed goatee. He thanks January for escorting Amari um, and asks her to check the conditions. Uh, January glances at Amari and says, he always guesses my name right. Which again, that's probably why she got this little kid crush on this man <laughs> he says like, she's like he never gets my that. name wrong like the the openness that this department has to like expression and both like clothing but like in like name and stuff mm-hmm. might should also probably align with like um gender and other things as well so i can really see this department being very like uh supportive to people mm-hmm. who are like like queer non-binary and like are just like fluid like just any level of fluidity mm-hmm. um and i could see how this would be a department that would appeal to so many people who just like want to embrace the fluidity of their identity in any yeah. way um and i love that for january that means like a name change every day but like 
I just wonder what the capabilities are for other students who really just like need a place where they can just be whoever they want to be at any given time. Yeah. Also, so this kind of also makes me wonder, like this could also be another possible question is like, what would you wear if you were in this department? Like what would be like the outfit that made you happiest? Um, that would be fun. Um, okay. So Horace has Amari take her shoes off and sit on the carpet. Um, and then she asks if he decides that her being here is a bad omen. Does it mean that she'll be kicked out of the bureau? Um, and director Horace uh, says, don't worry. The reading is merely a precaution. Um, Atlanteans like Chief Crow see every oddity as an omen for calamity. So when a magician shows up in the bureau around the same time it's being attacked, it's only natural the chief would want answers. This this guy, man, I wish he was here on the first day when everybody was all up in arms and being. I mean, I feel like he because isn't the guy who was head like had his head there Mm -hmm. but wasn't there in body? Wasn't he also from this? Is he not the overall? Uh, No, he was the Department of Unexplained. I mean, is that not the, is it not encompassed like in this mm-hmm. apartment? No, okay. it's a different one. But, but it's I think like, the ones that are very like, like, like similar vibes, like chill out. Yeah, like. yeah. I think yeah. It seems like the departments where they're like, you know, who knows what can happen are very much like go with the flow. They're like, whatever. You could be here. You could be dangerous. You could not be dangerous. Even if you are, maybe we keep you around. Who knows? Like I just. I appreciate the openness. <laughs> I thought that comes from the same thing of like being like looking at things from like the sky level and being mm-hmm. like, you know, like have perspective. Like you're getting up in arms for this thing. And there is a lot of things we actually need to be like, just yeah, loose mm-hmm. and embrace the fact that we could be, we could be thinking about some other things as well. Like where does this fit in the overall grand picture and grand scheme of things? Right. Should we really devote so much energy into this when we could really, we really need to worry about like the whole, greater scheme does this suit the greater purpose like I love that for them that Mm -hmm. they're I wonder how much um I wonder what the like the tensions are between departments when you have these like these uh bigger picture thinkers versus those like I wonder what the tension is between departments and if there's like ever been some like oh like we don't we don't talk to them because they never really care about the things they need to care it's like no you need both you need both sides of this mm-hmm. you can't just have the people who are always up in arms for every little pressure right definitely um okay so then amari's like so you don't think me being here is a bad omen um and horace says i've learned to wait for what will be revealed to be revealed um big picture yeah um so january confirms that it is pouring outside Horace grins and says perfect then he stands and stretches and asks Amari if she's ready for a ride um he tells her to stand next to her next not sorry to stand next to him on the center of the carpet um and January passes the director a long silver staff and then the director Horace shouts go right as Amari is realizing that they're on a flying carpet um, the carpet comes to life, bucks and wiggles, and then jumps forward, bending at the edges to fit through the open doorway. They fly in fast circles around the top of the dome. 
while a crowd of upturned faces cheers them on, which I also love how they just like stop whatever work they're doing. And they're like, yeah, let's go. But I mean, January did say like, ask after the show. So they, everybody, yeah. I think they were all expecting a show. So I feel like they they were in there just like having popcorn and you're just looking up like, yeah. Right. Like I'm ready for this. And like, I think that's hilarious. Everyone else is like waiting on Hamar- Amari. They're like looking at her and being all like angry because she's a magician. And, and these, these kids are like, okay, I'm waiting for the like <laughs> like waiting for her to get here so she could watch the show like i love that i love like that it's a rainy night oh this is this a show oh, night. going it's on rainy. it's going down like uh yeah it's this this place is honestly delightful it's very uh it's a nice change of pace after all the like doom we've had for the last couple chapters um so they dash so a panel slides away um in the um, in the ceiling and Horace spins his staff until it becomes an umbrella that he flicks open with a flick of his wrist. Um, They dash out into the blinding rain and basically just keep going higher and higher. Amari's holding on to- I just want to say as a person who has a problem with heights- I would want to have consent asked before I'm, right. I'm put Let on me know. a magic carpet. Let me know we're on the magic carpet and that we're about to go above the clouds. Can you just <laughs> tell me that what we're like what's gonna happen tonight includes me because I maybe I can just I can sit instead of standing because I think I'm gonna need to sit like I don't mm-hmm. think I would be able to keep myself together if I'm standing uh, yeah and I wouldn't be able yeah to I'm like why can't they sit right I would be down if I could sit like I don't actually mind but like because <laughs> I, I can just stare at the carpet pattern for a minute like right. just kind of keep my brain together and then and once then you're above the clouds the clouds could kind of look like ground so you might have yes. like the illusion of not really being as high as you are um right. you don't think about it because like uh-uh like flying up the dome and then out into oh no mm-hmm. yeah yeah no um so okay so then yeah so they go above the clouds so now it's no longer raining because they're above the rain um amari is freezing um Horace closes his umbrella, sets it down to his bare feet, which is when Amari remembers her own wet feet, because remember, they do not have shoes on. Um, Horace is like, a beautiful night. And Amari goes, I'm soaking and freezing. Which, you know... Facts. <laughs> peep the vision. Horace is like, so am I. But we're here uh, to do... What we're here to do won't take long, I promise. He Like, they're just very... Like, he grins when he says it. He's like, yeah, isn't it great? Like, like people find you charming because you're you get away with a lot of crap because of your voice, don't you? I'm tired. I'm over it. It's very funny. Like I just appreciate. <laughs> they're just so chill. They're so chill. They could be. They could be not chill. You know. So Amari is like, how can he be so calm when I'm halfway to becoming an Amari popsicle? Um, so <laughs> she's not chill. But mm-hmm. um, we find out that they're here to cast constellation. He points to the stars above and says the constellations the constellations have been set for thousands of years or tens of thousands of years. They describe the history of the planet itself moving ever so slowly with the passage of time. Amari asks what they say and Horace says, I have no idea. They're written in language long forgotten, um, but you are very young. Your constellation should be easy enough to figure out. So he has her hold out her hand. He reaches up, plucks a star right out of the sky and drops the speck of twinkling light into her uh her palm and then he just basically keeps like plucking stars out and putting them in her hand and then 
is like, once he's done, he says that should be plenty. With a broad swipe of his staff, he knocks loose the remaining stars from the sky. Which is just like, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> I love this chapter. Um, So Amari asks if she's really holding whole stars in her hand. And Horace explains, it's not the stars themselves, but their spirits. Every natural thing exists in two places, both here and there. If we are physically here, then we are spiritually there. Likewise, if the stars are physically out there, then it only makes sense for them to be spiritually here. Do you understand? And Amari says, not really. But it did make me think of like, like, it doesn't really make sense, but it kind of does in a way. Like it made me think of like the fact that obviously stars are suns that are however many billions of light years away, but we see them here and like, you know what I mean? Like we see like, I think it's, we see their past. Mm-hmm. I, you know, very, not, not fully up on science, but from what You're I understand. the light that's already been projected out. Exactly. Like they may have already been dying. Like, like every star is already, like every star is dying. Right. What we see is already light that is dying. It's already happened. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it makes sense to me then that we, that he could pluck the spirits of those stars, even though they're not physically here. Like if that makes sense. Because like the logic is very like if either you're here or there mm-hmm. if they are there then their spirit is here and yeah. i'm like that makes i, can, that makes I follow sense. that logic it makes sense as like a as like yeah. a scientifically and magically speaking i am not totally sure on like the other side with like humans but i assume it's the same thing but like just li- like the way that it's explained i love and was just i feel like, like the only oh, thing is that like for me it's like it's like for humans though right like for people for, yeah. like, for any sentient creature how Yes, sometimes I am spiritually elsewhere, but physically in a place. But that's yeah. not always. So how do you make sense of that? Right. Whenever both things are present in the same place. Mm-hmm. That's the, but I'm sure that's part of the study. That's why you got to study with uh, Director Horace exactly. and get that knowledge. And he right. would answer all those questions. But we are not in this department. We're yet. just getting a glimpse of We're what just you visitors can- with Amari. <laughs> um. So uh, director Horace is like, well, if you wish to learn more about these things, you're more than welcome to come try out for my department next summer. It's been a century since a moonstone badge has graced our doors, which I'm like, you know what? Take up his offer. Become a junior agent. This is what I'm saying. Amari over here putting down one department. I'm like, my thing is, is like, pass the junior agent tryouts. Find Quentin. When you're done next summer, come back, hit up director Horace and be like, so what's good? I'm trying to try out for you. Right. Like, like, you opened some thoughts that I want some answers to. Yeah. And maybe there's no answer, but yeah, I would like, like something. I would like to get a little bit further in my understanding of what's going on over here. Exactly. And she's got, like, six years. She could do this with, like, plenty of departments. You can just she switch it so up. Time. You can, like, I would love to, like, for, this, as I, we were talking about this, I was like, I feel like for me, this is, and I'm, definitely like there I know there were people who went to schools like I know NYU like had it where you can kind of like build your own curriculum mm-hmm. I'm not one of those kids I need some kind of structure I would yeah. like I'm I really did do well from having a structure behind it but once I got to my ability to do, like take elective courses um I was very much like if there was something that was of interest to me I'm gonna like jot it down um and no matter what school or department it's part of I'm gonna like go try it out and that would that be definitely would be like my um how I would go about doing an internship with the bureau would be like, I I think I'd probably do the department of unexplained. Mm. Um, but because the department of unexplained is so closely tied in like, I guess like theory 
to this department, I'd be like, oh, can I take some time? Like, I, like this seems like it could be explained by fortune and like uh, fortune telling. Can I like take some time to go learn about fortune telling? And be like, yeah. And so I just go and go like learn about fortune telling for like a couple of weeks and then come back out. Like, okay. So I don't have an explanation, but I have some better understanding about how this thing, why this thing is unexplained or whatever. Yep. Um, so again, here comes Amari, uh, talking herself down, saying that her moonstone badge is only because she's a magician. Um, and Horace is like, don't sell yourself short. From what I've heard, you've done quite well so far. Which again, we just need folks to keep, like, keep telling her. Like, <laughs> but like, I'm like, this is my thing. We gonna Jayden start. just tell her and like his smooth little 11, 12 year old way, right? Mm-hmm. And then here she is. Like at this point, she's like, because like she had a moment where she kind of like had that realization, like she's been comparing herself to Quint and she needs to let that go. So she's like in a different mind space now than she has been the rest of the book about like bringing up the Moonstone thing. So now I'm just like, girl, you just want this uh, dreamy voice man to tell you. <laughs> 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 You know like, I, could, I don't mind hearing that. I'm great from another person who has a cool voice. Like that's I'm cool. You know with that. what? I am not mad at that. <laughs> um so they begin to look at well, begin by looking at her history. Um to understand where you're going, we must we must first understand where your blood has been. Um, so that is like very distinct uh definition of Sankofa, which I love that it's just like bare and not you know, they say it and then move on. Um, so he has her separate the stardust into two even piles on the carpet and then gather the first pile of stardust, toss it high as she can, um, and jumping if it helps. So not she... Not carpet, I'm not... Mm-mm. Right? <laughs> like, I'm not going to jump, but I but I, I can... I will fling you know, it. I'll, I'll fling it. As I will LeBron. <laughs> right. That's literally what it is. It's LeBron. So the glowing the glowing pile soars, exploding against the sky like fireworks, and then reforming into a woman in a elaborate headdress, shifts into a crouching man with a spear lifted over his head. It changes again to a boy on the edge of a cliff, his gaze on the horizon. Um, so these are her ancestors. Amari is descended from great African tribal queens, fierce warriors who protected the innocent, and renowned travelers who sought the thrill of adventure. Um, greatness, like all other traits, can be passed down in the blood from parent to child. Um, the image shifts this time to a young girl on her knees before a man with a whip, changes to show men and women marching, even against the blast of a fire hose. Um, and then Horace says, There's resilience in your blood, too, the willpower to endure seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Though your ancestors were once slaves, their descendants fought for equal rights. Um, and then Amari sees Mama's face in the starlight, smiling. Wait, oh, yeah. That sentence is important. I don't want to skip that sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, so at the site, Amari holds her chin high. Um, which, yeah, is super important. It's like I think it's also a good. I was like gonna wait till I finish, but let's do it now. <laughs> I think it's really great in this moment too because of like how she's coming back um to the bureau and like after having dealt with this hate crime after having like tried you know had doubts about whether she should return whether she belongs here coming back immediately having that confrontation with Lara it just is like another reinforcement that like 
she can do this and like can find her brother can like become a junior agent like belongs can make herself belong in the bureau um because she comes from people who have done that you know for her to be where she is at this moment um yeah I, just think I also think it gives her like she's not alone mm-hmm. like she's not on this journey alone like there are people who like who were alive and who have gone through similar not the same but similar things that seemed like as, as he said insurmountable and um were able to push on and that's how Amari was able to be here is because they pushed through um those moments and those obstacles and so Amari is continuing a legacy of people who have had to have their own similar kind of responses to the th- to things that have been barriers. Um, like you were saying to like the like where the bureau is like putting up obstacles and uh, barriers to her. Um, so I think especially in this moment where she doesn't have Quentin and um, she's coming back from people showing like direct hate to her. She's seeing that, like, not only from the department kids being like, okay, like, it's just she's coming with us on the elevator and then, like, cheering her on as she's flying out of this apartment. Right. Um, like, so not only is it just, like, pe- like, like kids that she hasn't had um, interacted with or, like, booting her on and, like, cheering for her, but also, like, the people that she comes from, they're part of her. They're on the journey with her. So even though those, those uh, what they contributed ha- may have happened in the past. Um, it lives on through her, and so she's not doing it alone, really, ever. Mm-hmm. Though she feels that way from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. So then Amari sees her mom's face smiling as she holds a baby in her arms. Um, she holds her breath at the sight of Quentin's proud face as he loads the briefcase that started all this. These are the people who know you best, uh, says Director Horace. You've been greatly loved. Um, Amari's chin quivers and she says I love them too um, so then Horace notices there's not a single magician in her family history um, the, his- the stars wink out and he says this is the history of your magic Amari completely blank as if the magic truly began with you fascinating so she is a born magician though Horace doesn't have any idea what that will mean for her um, so now they're moving on to the present and future she casts the Amari second. is not the first of her name. Like may not be the first of her name, but she is the first of her talent. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so she casts the second pile of stardust. Um, there's another explosion of white light, and a twinkling bird takes form. Um, the bird represents her, um, and as she is right in this moment, it hasn't yet taken flight. Its wings are outstretched. Its head turned upward. The pose suggests that Amari is capable of becoming truly special and reaching great heights. Um, But then they see uh, the head of a snake emerge. The creature winds itself through the legs of the bird, coiling up around it. And then a much larger two-headed snake appears. Amari jumps when its heads bare their fangs. Instead of backing down, the smaller snake shows its fangs too. Director Horace says that he's seen this snake before during his own castings in the Wandering Isles. Um, It's why he cut his trip short to return. So he waves the staff in the sky, the stars swirl above them, the image of a mighty elephant appears. Um, It represents the entire bureau. 
And seconds later, a two-headed snake coils itself around the elephant's leg. It waits there for a moment before climbing up the elephant's neck, where it strikes, bringing the animal to its knees. Snakes have typically represented magicians in the constellations, um, chiefly for their potential to do great harm to the caster. But um, Amari didn't appear as a snake, likely because it's her own casting. But he doesn't really know what the two-headed snake represents. Whatever the case, it seems that Amari and the Bureau have a common enemy. Amari is guessing that it's Mor- Moreau and the Apprentice. Uh, but and, and Horace like agrees, but he's also like leaving it open. He's like, there's a lot that isn't clear. Um, there's also a, the smaller snake that sought to protect her. And he's like, I don't suppose you have any idea who that might, magician might be. Amari thinks it's Dylan but doesn't say so because um, she doesn't want to give away his secret Um, so Horace is like I need to inform the chief about what we've witnessed tonight Uh, but she gets to stay he's pretty much like clearly we have a common enemy like you need to be protected which I think is a great step forward because up until this point it's just been like we're watching you but not we're like making sure you're okay you know what I mean and making sure you're not um in danger so i think that that's great um he also says that she likely shouldn't go home for breaks uh anymore because of that and then amari asks like what if she fails a tryout and horace is like we'll cross that bridge when we get to it drastic measures would need to be taken whatever this two-headed snake represents it's taken an interest in you amari and that appears to be a very dangerous position to occupy So before they go back, she makes sure to ask a question, asks her question about Quentin. um, And Horace says that Quentin came to him about reading the future, but not his own, which is why he had to refuse. Unless it's an emergency, he can never reveal the future of one person to another. And Amari asks if he was asking about her future, but it turns out Quentin was asking about Maria's future and wanted to know if she would ever betray the Bureau. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I love that he's like, I'm not going to tell anybody, like, any of someone else's, like, fortune, but I will tell you what someone what asked question about asked. else's fortune. Yeah. I feel like it gives, it, 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 answers whether you have the question or not it does answer something which is like you know quentin and maria's relationship was not as Mm -hmm. perfect as like everyone else might think and i think that it leaves amari like if we count down amari's clues so far um what we know solidly is that because she did do like a kind of roundup that she thinks that they may have been uh, that the Moreau may have been asking for the black book. Um, we know that um, Vanquish probably found something that they shouldn't have, and that's why they um, are missing right now. Um, and now she knows that Quentin has some level of suspicion of Maria. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what Amari's going to do with those clues. I mean, I do know, but <laughs> um, now that Amari has those clues, like what is she going to be able to do with that information and how helpful is that going to be to her further investigation and trying to figure out where Quentin went? Yep. Tight. So who is your MVP? Um, My MVP 
One, okay, so I made a point to come back to that sentence about um, Amari lifting her head up mm. after hearing about um, her family's legacy and her ancestors mm-hmm. because I found that whole passage um, very important to include in a middle grade level book. Yeah. Um, specifically for like where kids are at this age um, and especially like black kids who... Um, I don't know. One of the things that like lingers with me, and this is was something that happened in high school, but I think it could happen at any age, um, was like in a history class, um, this white kid asked this, you know, overbearing question of like, well, why didn't the slaves revolt kind of thing? And I think that when you're in a middle grade, you start getting more history of that time period of the antebellum period and mm-hmm. a civil war. Um and it like I think that when it's not taught with a deeper understanding of this of all the factors of it, it leads off with black kids uh having a bad understanding of like who who were people who were enslaved, what were they dealing with, what was that? Um, so I love that like in like this middle grade fantasy book, we're having a moment where we're like you're seeing a black kid get a fortune, like a seat looking, being able to look back into their legacy and have pride and their ancestors being like living and surviving and being able to resist and have resilience. Mm-hmm. And so I love that director, uh, director horse, like a dark skinned black man with a magical voice is the one who's bringing this um, to Amari. So I definitely made him my MVP not only because of like like again the dress code for the department and like how like you if he's the one who's like building up these directors and he's like being really open and allowing the people who um like looking out for the benefit of people's like mental health and all that kind of stuff and then also like looking for protection for Amari like looking out for her in ways that other adults have not so far um, but also this like this moment, this particular moment that he that was his whole point of having this time with her was to showcase to her her family's legacy um, is super important. I love that that was part of his practice um, and he introduced that to her. And it's just such a heartfelt thing that had I had it at a middle grade, it would have been um, it would have like had my chin up too. And I'm hoping yeah. that other kids kids that age come pick up this book and read that passage and they put their trims as, as well because they may not know who those people were but in reading a Mari story it hopefully helps you to like wonder about and think about the people who were people who were resisting who uh, were who lived so that you could live you now um so I made him um as well as I believe this one I'm looking at um oh the closet I also made the closets my um, MVP. I guess so, and whoever is, the, and because I'm sure this is a bureau job. Whoever is the one who's maintaining the closets throughout the dormitories in the bureau, because I know that like January says she made her own clothes, and a lot of kids make their own clothes. But the the stuff has to come from somewhere. Yeah, and I'm thinking it's the closet. And so I'm just like loving that. Like if I had the ability to just like look at my closet, like I wouldn't have so many clothes. I would just look at my closet and be like today I feel like wearing this and then mm-hmm. it would just be there and it would just be so like be great I just, I'm great I just I just love it so much um and to see the kids like fully living out their full dramatic selves through fashion is just inspiring so both 
I found both director horse and um, the closet's um, ability to make manifest these like big fashion dreams was uh, inspiring to me this chapter. Agreed. Um, I also made Horace my MVP, just like basically for all the reasons you said, like the culture of the department of good fortunes and bad omens is great. And he's also just seems like he's like such a nice guy and like very chill and not, you know, um, swayed by other people's like prejudices and that kind of thing. And like, yeah, he's, he's a nice dude. I think that Amari should try out for that department next summer. Um, I think she needs to take a moment from like that whole thing of like not comparing herself to Clinton and really like do something different, like run through the same stuff that Clinton did. Like, yeah, what, what does something else is speaking to her that Clinton didn't do? Like, mm-hmm. try that out. Yeah. Um, who is benched? I think we both benched the same person. Yeah, Lara. She's got to go. She, like, she remains the worst and has to go. And I was so annoyed when Amari had the sentiment that like. Because, like, Dylan, I'm rolling my eyes, but you can't see this um, <gasps> podcast. Um, um, when Dylan had his moment where he was like, yeah, I'm just so happy that my mom and sister weren't there. Because, like, they definitely, like, attacked the, the side of the mansion where Laura's room is. And Amari was, like, internally, like, oh, I would never wish um, for, even though we've had our issues, I would never wish for Laura to get hurt. And I was just like, no, Amari. Like, that girl would have no qualms if you got hurt. Like, you could be dead in the street and she'd be like, oh, she'd just step over you because she does not care. So you having that level of, like, empathy for someone who would, like, literally step over your dead body. Like, yeah. I need you to, like, to, I, this niceness, this kindness, it's, nobody's worth that level of kindness when they're acting this way to you. I need you to let that go. Um, so I was a little annoyed at Amari, but the, the annoyance comes from, like, how much I dislike Lara. Yeah. And, like, how much, like, Lara is just an awful person. She's she's horrible. She's really horrible. If Amari, if, oh, and that's something else I wanted to know. It's very sus. And this is, like, for the clues for, like, um, how whatever the magicians who are involved in, like, spreading these attacks. It's very suspicious to me that conveniently... It's only the old money, the old bureau families who got attacked. Um, mm-hmm. And so that calls for a level of like recognition of like where those people live. And like not everyone has like access to know where all these people live and all that kind of stuff. But because of the way that it's like they're the ones, the only ones who are attacked, then it calls into question like, oh, is it someone who's not from these families who's attacking them? But for me, it's like, not one that question of access and two and knowledge and two um the ability to like pull it out so for them it seems like they're trying to set amari or someone else who is not from an old bureau family up because like oh someone who's not of the system is trying to attack right, the system right and i don't appreciate that it's trying to like set amari up for like take the downfall for something that you really can't like she how would she know which mm-hmm. how would she be part of that right um, so whenever Kirsten came out of here talking that crap, I'm like, y'all, like, I feel like the parents, the parents are always to blame, but the parents must be having these discussions where these kids are coming out of here and blaming stuff on Amari. And I don't like that that's happening. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely like, but I, it's it's in a way it's like kind of framing her, but then also as that's happening, I think that the folks at the bureau are becoming less suspicious of her at the same time. Mm. Which you know what I mean? At least from like we've seen this episode or this chapter of like Horace kind of still being like, you know, we'll see what it says. Um, and then afterwards being like, okay, no, you just need extra protection. Like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like they're, uh, that part is not necessarily going the way the person is hoping or like the apprentice is hoping. Yeah. I like there's more, like there's more, like I, for the director to like push for her to have this special meeting with, uh, Horace um right after these attacks i don't feel like that is like a um thing that just came out of nowhere that like because like because horace tries to say like oh she just um is an atlantean so they are naturally suspicious of two things happening at the same time but i'm like nah we all know this hybrid attack happened like yesterday so she probably uh needs to like calm down director van helsing was like you know what how about we have horace check into it and if horace is a problem then Maybe it's a problem. Like, yeah. I feel like it's like one of those like preventative measures to mm-hmm. keep uh, the Van Helsings of the bureau um, out of Amari, like blaming Amari. Yeah. Yeah, I love this chapter. I don't remember what happens after this, but that was that was a great time. <laughs> I literally at this point, I'm like vibes. I remember like. I have like vague memories of like certain scenes, but I don't remember. There's like a scene that I thought happened before this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know the order anymore. I'm just like, who knows? But. I I think what it is like, this is the scene that I, um, I think it's, is it this edition of the book? It's either this edition or my other edition of uh, the book. Oh, you know, it's this edition. They have um, the, the opening page to uh-huh. the book is, uh, um, an image of Amari sitting and Dr. Horace sitting on a magic carpet. Oh, I love it. And it's so cute. And I just feel like it's such an impactful chapter that I think that even like the publishers were like, oh yeah, we're going to put that in the front. We put it in the front of the book and we don't get to it to the it's the best it's the best and i can't believe i forgot about it like i remembered that she met horace but i didn't remember anything about it really and i'm like how could i forget it's so like just wonderful this this and it's like such great timing for like where she is mentally yeah love it give austin we love your writing (laughs) good job sir you know speaking of loving bb austin's writing um, if you love UB Austin's writing and this book as well as listening to us, then you can join us again um, as we come back for chapter 24 next week. Um, yeah, and just as a reminder, let us know what your outfit would be, like what makes you happiest. Um, and again, you can let us know on social media or if you're listening on Spotify, you can respond in the app and then we'll see it and we can talk about it um, on the episode. Wizard Team is brought to you by Black Nerds Create. If you want to keep up with our other content, you can um, by checking out our website at blacknerdscreate.com, following us on Twitter at BLKNerdsCreate, 
at Yana wrote it at Robin underscore rambles and at Porsche. Um, and then follow us on Instagram and Tumblr at black nerds create subscribe to our monthly magic newsletter and don't forget to rate and review. Thanks y'all. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.